MI Cynic, the podcast with a license to inform. This is your host, Thomas Brancato. Today's episode will feature the end of my interview with Irfan Yar on the topic of Afghanistan's future after the United States withdrawal. Earlier, we discussed points such as President Biden's decision to withdraw and the rise of the Taliban. Another point that I find very interesting to add to the debate here is one made by the CIA director, William Burns, who told the US senators recently that the ability to collect intelligence threats on Afghanistan will diminish with a US military withdrawal. I think uh, that comes without any question, but we know as well that Osama bin Laden did uh, some training of recruits and some planning on uh, Afghanistani soil. So with this admission, we now have to prepare for a world in which uh, Afghanistan might be a, a safe haven once again for this kind of radicalization and for planning on faraway targets. What is your opinion on Afghanistan being the safe haven tomorrow? Is it likelier now that the U.S. is withdrawing its troops from the ground or not? Well, this is a legit and a burdening question, you know, which should be arise. And I think the the best and simple answer is we don't know yet. But again, you know, like as an analyst, uh, when we analyze the situation and look at the back picture, we would say that uh, uh, this is my personal opinion uh, that uh, uh, the Afghanistan will not become a safe heaven, at least in the coming uh, five to 10 years. Because what we see there in Afghanistan, the potential, you know, arise up uh, ISK and Al-Qaeda. If we look at the ISK or the Islamic State of Khorasan, which is, you know, a local branch uh, of the ISIS uh, for the Afghanistan and the Indian subcontinent region, they are very weak now. So, and, and they are, you know, competing with the Taliban in terms of, you know, gaining influence and territory. And the Taliban have, you know, uh, uh, anchored them a very, you know, bloody nose. So they are very less likely, you know, to re-emerge as a powerful terrorist group. And when, so their relationship is also very clear that the Taliban do not want them because their their agenda is more global, which doesn't source the Taliban agenda because the Taliban only want to, to have dominance in Afghanistan and they don't care what's going on outside the world. So for that reason, it's very clear, the relation. But when it comes to Al-Qaeda, it's more complicated because Al-Qaeda and Taliban have been cooperating with each other, you know, since the since the emergence of the Taliban movement uh, in 1990s. Uh, and, and now that uh, the United States has, you know, started diplomatic uh, uh, relation with the Taliban, uh, and also put, you know, pressure on the Taliban to cut its ties with with uh, with international terrorists such as Al Qaeda, uh, the Taliban also says that uh, we will cut ties with them. Uh, they also, you know, if we if we see the Doha uh, Taliban peace agreement, they also agreed that they will uh, not let any individual group or terrorist group, you know, use soil of Afghanistan against the U.S. threat. So the Taliban, what I mean, what else can they do? They have given their words on a piece of paper, which is of course, you know, uh, uh, an official agreement. And this is that we are not going to cooperate with them or let them use Afghan soil against the U.S. So. That also kind of, you know, suggests that uh, uh, the Taliban will, you know, uh, not let any international terrorists, you know, stay in Afghanistan. I think what should be more concerned and you should uh, you should take care of, which you should, uh, U.S. Uh, has uh, ignored as uh, the rise of the old rivalry, like domestically. Uh, 
there were groups in Afghanistan, you know, who were opposing the Taliban from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think once the Taliban leave, there are chances that it will be those groups, you know, who might take, you know, to, to the weapons and, you know, start civil war in some sense. So that should be more concerning rather than, you know, uh, rather than the terrorists. Right, which is something similar to what we've seen as well in Iraq, uh, that a withdrawal that happens too early will actually leave all of these factions under a immediate strain. Um, and this is something that's often overlooked, or perhaps the political will is so high to just get out, get the troops out as quickly as possible, that there's almost no thought paid to the ramifications. Exactly. In Afghanistan, this this feature is more even more prominent because of its historical relation, you know, among those groups. If we look back into the history when the Soviet uh, troops, you know, withdrew from Afghanistan, so there was a political vacuum created, and uh, all those, you know, jihadist factions. Uh, which were calling themselves the Mujahideen, who were also insurgent at one point, they, you know, turned their guns against each other. And they, you know, they dragged the country into a bloody civil war. And it was the Taliban, you know, the Taliban who emerged and put an end to the lawlessness of that, of that you know, era. Uh, and they were very popular, especially in the initial years, because they brought, you know, peace, uh, stability uh, and, and law and order. But subsequently, you know, of course, their image changed because they imposed very strict interpretation of Islam. And those jihadist groups who were, you know, uh, who were destroyed by the Taliban, uh, they they cooperated with the United States, you know, to, to dislodge the Taliban regime. And when the United States toppled the Taliban regime, so those specific groups who were the enemies of the Taliban were given the lion's share and the, and the subsequent government, which came to existence uh, in the Bonn Agreement. And uh, it are and so now and the government uh, these are the people who who were at once you know the sworn enemies of the Taliban. So now the Taliban are coming to power and uh, they see their enemies you know and use uh, you know anything against the Taliban for twenty years. Of course you know they will be having some you know intention. Do you do you think do you think this is an issue that might come up? I mean, what do you what do you rate is the the likelihood of these factions, the, these old rivalries, as you call them, coming to a boiling point? Yes, maybe not uh, not in a fashion where it was like open civil war, but uh, again, in the Afghan government, there are many elements who you know try to keep the Taliban away from joining governments because they think if the Taliban come to power, their interest you know, are going to be, you know, wasted because uh, the Taliban will not let them rule Afghanistan. Mm. Uh, and, and, and there have been many warlords, you know, I would say they are, they are, you know, they never want the Taliban to come to power first because of uh, their personal interest and because of their ideology also. Right. And they constantly advocate, you know, uh, and, and they can be called, you know, the spoiler of the peace talks. Right. And I think uh, the United States diplomats and, and uh, military command would be well to heed your words. Um, because how can we talk about peace if the minute that we leave, whatever nice things and whatever thoughtful things that you laid out uh, will immediately come under pressure uh, from these factions within. I think it's important that any comprehensive peace deal uh, takes the peace of Afghanistan as a whole into consideration. And that might be very hard to do when we're talking about a nation 20 years fractured by war. But do you think the the appetite for peace 
by the Afghani population might be stronger than these old rivalries coming to, to a fray. For the 20 years, the Afghan people, the civilians are always at the receiving end. You know, they are, you know, living a life, you know, a, li a dark poor life. They are just, you know, uh, begging for food and they really don't care, you know, like speaking from, from my experience and situation, they really don't care who really controls the power. What they want is peace. Like their thirst for peace is, you know, uh, is that much that they really don't care, you know, be they the Taliban or the, or the current Afghan government. What they want is, you know, to stop the, the violence and, and, and live a peaceful life. But the, unfortunately, the Afghan people, you know, cannot cannot do anything because they are always busy, you know, and finding, you know, bread and butter for themselves. They are even if we talk about the democratic procedure, uh, it's very it's very unfortunate to say that we have, you know, uh, a very corrupt Afghan government because even when the elections are taking place, it is not transparent at all. So that's the only power uh, where citizen can, you know, uh, utilize that strength in a democracy and that power has also taken from them de facto. So the Afghan people cannot do anything, you know, uh, because they are taken by the warlords and, and, and the current Afghan government. I think one of the fascinating developments that we've seen over the course of these 20 years in Afghanistan is diplomatic relations between the United States and the Taliban. Something that for me is still quite shocking and unthinkable, myself having grown up uh, through 9-11, I remember as a schoolboy, um, the teachers wheeling in the television sets uh, and we were we would watch these horrific scenes that seemed uh, like a movie, almost like a uh, like a horrible movie. And to think 20 years later, and we're talking about, uh, you know, diplomatic relations between the US and Taliban is, is still hard to believe. As part of this peace deal, of course, the United States has the intention of using Pakistan as a source for its uh, airstrikes and drone capabilities, something that would have as well seemed like something out of a fiction movie to, to me back, uh, back in the days of 2001. But these are both things that we have to contend with now, a very, very real sense in 2021. However, I wonder whether new is always better and whether new is always the best path forward. Uh, newness didn't much help the United States in 20 years in Afghanistan. I wonder, do you think the United States is also making the same mistake in assuming that uh, new technology in drones and airstrikes will allow it to successfully monitor and counter uh, any rising terrorist threat or any domestic instability within Afghanistan? No, no. It certainly is not going to work because the United States, you know, when it was uh, militarily engaged in Afghanistan in the 20 years, so they, you know, never hesitated to use the drone. So they always used the drone. And besides drones, of course, there was other, you know, military might present in Afghanistan. So combine these two factors didn't work. How would one factor, you know, using drone work? This is a very common sense. Second, uh, uh, second, you know, the drone strike, uh, in my personal opinion and, and uh, the knowledge that I have gained, you know, uh, studies also suggested that the, the drone attack uh, all, um, always created more bad than goods because usually there was a very poor coordination between the operator and intelligence on the ground. So mostly they would target, you know, gathering 
such as in mosque, people coming together or a wedding in rural areas, and they would be the targeted. And the people would, you know, they would the civilians, and 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 they would, you know, feel very frustrated. And they provided, you know, uh, they pushed them to join the the Taliban. And one reason was that uh, in, in in rural Afghanistan, it is very common that people will carry, you know, a long beard and and an outfit with exactly look like the Taliban. The outlook and the appearance, so you, a, a normal person cannot differentiate who is Taliban and who is a normal village person. And they would, you know, take them uh, for the Taliban and kill those, you know, civilians. So that has always created more, you know, frustration and anger among the civilians rather than, you know, doing the, the good things. So, uh, you know, like uh, the, the drone technology is, is, is a big failure, you know, in Afghanistan. So we've talked a lot about things that can go wrong and certainly things that have gone wrong. But if this withdrawal is going to come with more problems than solutions, Irfan, um, then I'd love to have your opinion on what is an effective solution after 20 years of uh, failures and 20 years of setbacks and 20 years of not exactly getting Afghanistan to where uh, the world would like to see Afghanistan. Um, will Afghanistan always be doomed to these repetitive cycles, this graveyard of empires, this uh, new terrorist radicalization groups? Uh, what can we do about this? How can we secure Afghanistan? So far, for, you know, the lesson that we learned from 20 years of the U.S. war in Afghanistan, the first lesson is that military is not the solution to Afghanistan. Like, this is a proven fact that the most powerful military might didn't bring peace and stability to Afghanistan, you know, uh, vis-a-vis a very weak uh, power, the Taliban, who mostly relied on the weapons from 1950s. So military is not going to work at all. The, I think the other lesson that we should learn is that uh, the U.S. should, you know, find non-military solution. So a non-military solution comes, of course, economic development, you know, I think I, I always say this. Uh, it's not about, you know, to eradicate terrorists. It is about, you know, to eradicate terrorism. And terrorists can be died, but terrorists, ter- uh, terrorism is always in the minds of people. So, uh, uh, you know, until you change the situation, the ideology and, and the mind of the people, you not you really cannot eradicate radicalism, terrorism or extremism. And for that, you know, to eradicate or root uh, radicalism, you know, root the radicalism out of people's mind, you should adopt a long-term approach. Education is the best way. Because in, in, in rural Afghanistan, where most of the population reside, they have very, you know, limited access to basic utilities of the life. Even water, health, uh, uh, normal, you know, daily wages, uh, education, and all, the, all these things matter. For example, an educated person is less likely to join, you know, uh, speaking, uh, uh, you know, in large, uh, the terrorism or radical groups. As I told you uh, about my personal background, I was one of those school kids, and my classmate would go and join the terrorist group. So had I been in that region for a long time, I would be one of them. But luckily, I, I, you know, uh, went away from that, uh, you know, backward region uh, and to the city, Kabul, and that situation influenced me. So it was my family background, uh, the circumstances that I lived in, uh, you know, also play a big role. And uh, I think uh, socioeconomic condition, uh, again, uh, 
the corruptness of the Afghan government. The Af- one of the, you know, bizarre fact that I should admit is the Afghan government uh, has created a huge gap between the people and the Afghan government. And people are very disappointed and frustrated from the Afghan government because they are providing they are not providing or they are incapable of providing the facilities. And the Taliban, in fact, in many rural areas come to the front and offering people, you know, help. And, you know, with make them, you know, more close to the people. So again, you know, to conclude, education, uh, spending, you know, are making a huge investment in the Afghan infrastructure, economic development, providing, uh, you know, uh, employment to the people. Uh, would help you know curb uh, radicalism in Afghanistan. So would you would you go so far as to suggest that where the government disappears is where the Taliban appears? Is there a link to be made there between the failure of policies backed or maybe policies that take the social good into consideration and are, and are meant for the the prosperer of the people? Where that fails is where we actually see the rise of radicalization. We cannot exactly establish a boundary where, where the government disappears, the Taliban will appear, because the failure of the government is one of the key factors, not all the factors. Of course, we also have, like, there is always, you know, foreign involvement. So, you know, you know, uh, realistically speaking, foreign countries such as specifically Pakistan has played a very crucial role in the development of Afghanistan. So the United States should not you know, only think of the domestic politics, you know, talking talking about the government structure, but also, you know, uh, take uh, their non-NATO allies such as Pakistan, you know, uh, you know, convince them, you know, uh, to not interfere in Afghanistan because of their proxy war, uh, which they think, you know, related to India. So both domestic and, and, and foreign involvement, you know, are necessary to be addressed uh, in order to end this conflict. Which other countries can Afghanistan count among its friends today? And what role do they have in its future? In Afghanistan, of course, uh, the, the sole supporter of Afghanistan is the U.S., you know, uh, who almost you know, exclusively funding its budget. Uh, the other key supporter in the region that Afghanistan relies is on India. And I think one of the biggest mistakes Afghanistan make, especially in its diplomacy, they always, you know, try, they, they cannot make balance between its, its neighboring. So either they will tilt toward India or they will tilt toward Pakistan. And unfortunately, they have failed, you know, to keep a balance. And nowadays, specifically, you know, in the post-Taliban government, the Afghan Afghanistan has failed, you know, to engage with Pakistan diplomatically. And the Pakistan, realistically speaking, is powerful than Afghanistan. And if it see Afghanistan as a threat, even if it is not because of India, it will always, you know, find excuses, you know, to sneak in into Afghanistan and, you know, start their covert operation. Uh, there are, uh, as I mentioned, you know, many uh, many elements in Afghan government who have personal enmity with Pakistan. And because of personal relation, you know, they want to, you know, uh, to keep Pakistan away and give more, you know, uh, more way and influence to Indian uh, government in Afghanistan, which I think is not the right approach. The right approach would be to keep balance and always prioritize Afghan national interests. 
Do you do you think it, we might be looking at a situation in the future that should the Afghanistan government fail to establish strong connections with the Pakistani counterparts, that we might see that the Taliban might view this as a situation in which they could strengthen those links themselves and almost set up a shadow government uh, clearly backed by Pakistan and the official government more closely aligned to India? Is this at all in the realm of possibility? Yes, uh, uh, just you know, let's consider if the Taliban come to power, they are more likely to establish strong relationship with the Pakistan than India. It's been historically the case. And one reason is because Pakistan sheltered the Taliban leadership in Afghanistan. So obviously, you know, they had to pay them back. They will always, but uh, apparently, the Taliban says, you know, that uh, uh, they will always have good relationship with all the countries, be it India, Pakistan, or whoever they are. But realistically, Pakistan is going to gain more influence when Taliban come back to power. And we might see the start of a new geopolitical um, triangle of relations between India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and possibly uh, Iraq, Iran. Uh, it could get a whole lot more complicated now with uh, perhaps with a more fully independent Afghanistan. Yeah, but, 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 you know, the optimistic point here is the Taliban have also learned from their mistakes in the past. You know, they were very in the loggerheads, especially with Iran. Uh, they were almost, you know, uh, when the Taliban killed uh, diplomatic, you know, uh, crew of Iran. Uh, so the Taliban, you know, now put more emphasis on, you know, having good relationship with all the, well, all their neighbors. Uh, and uh, and this is, I think, a, a very good development in the ideology of the Taliban, at least in their leadership. Uh, so uh, even when the Taliban come to power, I think they will maintain good relationship uh, than they had. Uh, previously. Of course, I think back in 2001 at the start of the US-Afghanistan war, a few people could have predicted that we might have a Afghanistan government 20 years from now. But I think it leads to a more interesting question, which is um, if the Taliban will uh, accumulate power, perhaps more of a share of the power than the official Afghanistan government, and perhaps even come to dominate Afghanistani politics. You mentioned that the, the Taliban has come a long way in 20 years. Should the world give the Taliban a new start, a fresh chance? Uh, I think uh, I think there's the only option, you know, there's the only option that they should, you know, uh, let the Taliban join the government because they are an integral part of the Afghan society. Uh, this was also one of the lessons, you know, that the Taliban cannot be, you know, kept away from the Afghan society. They always, uh, they should remember that they have, you know, huge support in the rural Afghanistan. Uh, you know, it's it's the media, you know, which uh, doesn't really cover the Taliban support, you know. So I think this, this is the only option. I wish we had, you know, a better option that the Taliban should not be given power. And had there been some other, you know, body which could handle the situation in a better way. Neither the Afghan government is in a position, you know, to control the Afghan population. So to 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 bring the Taliban to the Afghan government would be a good idea. However, we should always keep an eye, uh, and that would be in terms of, you know, perceiving them and engaging with them in a diplomatic way.
The United States is set to withdraw its troops, and Afghanistan is set to have a power-sharing agreement and a government composed of partly the Taliban for the first time in at least those 20 years. What is Afghanistan in 2021? How does it look today compared to 2001? And how is it a result of those 20 years? How has it shaped and influenced Afghanistani society today? So if, if we compare, you know, uh, the, uh, Afghanistan in 2000, uh, two, 2001 and now, the, the, there can be you no know, mixed answer. For example, we would see certain level of materialistic development. You know, what had to come by default because it was after all 20 years. And in 2001, Afghanistan was recently recovering from the long-term war. It was also a 20-year war. You know, it was everything was demolished when the when the Soviet Union came to Afghanistan, and then the subsequent Mujahideen war. So the Taliban was a very nascent organization even by 2001. And I think if they were left to rule Afghanistan, I agree there would be more conservative Afghanistan. However, there would be less, less casualties and uh, less people would have died. And uh, the, the amount of money, you know, which the U.S. spent on its military operation in Afghanistan, had they been given to the Taliban uh, and, and they would, you know, spend that in a responsible way, Afghanistan would be much more developed. And I think uh, because of the 20-year time, the ideology of the Taliban would have also been changed. Because if we see the Taliban ideology now, especially of its leadership who are in Doha, they are, you know, there we, we will see a huge difference between their ideology. They are using social media. They are, you know, conducting interviews, you know, internationally. They also recognize the right of women to go to work. This was not the case back in 2001. And so why this all happened because of the time, because of the globalization. So it would have, we would have adopted, you know, a soft policy power that would have worked much better than the military effort. And now uh, in, in 2001, uh, the Afghanistan is not going to be different from 2020 or 2019 because the situation is not, you know, about the Taliban to stop the war. Of course, there is much more than, you know, the, the war on the surface. People are suffering from poverty. People are suffering from unemployment, you know. All those things take time. So we won't see any big difference, you know, uh, in, the, in the coming year. Well, this is surely an, an unprecedented and exciting time for Afghanistan as it makes this transition. One question that I'd like to ask before we finish the conversation is actually when when was the last time that you were in Afghanistan and whether you could see yourself returning to live and work there one day in the future? Well, uh, I would say, you know, this is the dream of every Afghan, you know, who live abroad, you know. Uh, they were all, most of the Afghans, you know, are always pushed from Afghanistan, you know, especially by violence, not, you know, for economic opportunities. And they would love to come back to their countries, you know, work there, live peacefully there. It has always, you know, a big dream of every Afghan, not even mine. And of course, you know, I would love to see myself, you know, serving the Afghan people if given the right opportunity and right time. And I hope it will happen. I hope so too. I think uh, despite all of the difficult things that we've been talking about today, uh, the future could look bright for Afghanistan and there could be an exciting way forward. Let's hope so. Yeah, let's know. That's the only way. Irfan, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, 
at MI Cynic. We'd love to have you over another time to have another conversation about Afghanistan. There's really so much more that we can discuss. Um, but for today and for this uh, episode, we're going to have to call it a day. Thank you so much for taking part. Really great talking to you. Thank you for having me again. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of MI Cynic. If you want to listen to our other episodes, leave your comments and feedback, or to support this project, please consider following us on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and of course, to check out our website at www.micynic.com. I hope to see you there for next time, and wish each of you a great rest of your week. <laughs>